welcome to the PLMR podcast. My name is Neve Mercer and I'm a senior account manager at PLMR and today we are talking about the environment. April the 22nd marks Earth Day which is an annual event to demonstrate support for environmental protection and 2021 will be a crucial year for the climate agenda. The coronavirus pandemic has further highlighted the importance of policy change in this area and in November the UK is set to be hosting the COP26 climate summit which will be vital in pursuing a new, more joined up global approach to tackling climate change. So joining me today to discuss this topic are two members of PLMR's energy and sustainability practice, who I will hand over to to let them introduce themselves now. Yes, hello. So my name is Patrick Cousins. I am the head of energy and sustainability at PLMR. I've been with PLMR for six years uh, prior to which I did a master's in environmental politics so looking forward to, um, to to getting involved in today's discussion. Hi thanks for having me on the podcast I'm Jade I am a account manager at PLMR working in the energy and sustainability practice. I have over three years of experience working in uh, sustainability with energy and technology clients and helping clients talk about net zero. Perfect. Okay, so to kick things off, um, obviously, you know, COP26 is really front of mind for a lot of people at the moment. So where do you see the, the sort of main challenges and opportunities for the UK ahead of this? Patrick, do you want to jump in? Sure, sure. Um, well, the big opportunity for the UK, uh, the, 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 the conference is a big unifying, motivating event for the British government because it is an opportunity for the UK to project global leadership after Brexit, uh, to build bridges internationally, and particularly with the Biden administration in the USA. It is an area where the UK has got a strong record in terms of decarbonisation. We've decarbonised faster than any other uh, G7 nation so far. Uh, we have a strong record in in, in uh, setting targets, which ultimately is is what the uh, what this conference is about. We were the first country to introduce a legally binding climate change act back in 2008, and obviously more recently, the first G7 country to commit to net zero emissions. Uh, and as a result of the, the legislation that comes through from the climate change act, you've obviously got all of the different carbon budgets, including yesterday. Uh, the UK signing up to a 78% emissions cut versus uh, 1990 emissions by 2035. So these are, these are examples of the UK showing genuine global leadership on this environmental issue. Um, and that gives us a, uh, a strong uh, position to, to go out and, and share, these, uh, share these talks. And you mentioned, you know, the sort of newer Biden administration in America. Do you think that that will have much influence on the UK's approach here? Or do you see the UK already sort of lead in that and now it's time for you know, the Biden administration to make good on some of the places where the Trump administration wasn't too concerned? I think it's changed what's possible from, uh, from COP26. If we'd been going into this without the US, it would have been much more challenging to try to build the kind of global collaboration and global solidarity that's needed in order to uh, to reach an agreement on on setting climate targets. Um, the US is is the second biggest emitter uh, and it's really really important that the US takes 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 ambitious policy forward into this. 
uh, conference and we should get some more detail about this week. Obviously, we're talking on Wednesday 21st ahead of Earth Day, which is which is tomorrow 22nd. And we've got this week the um, the, the G7 uh, Leaders Summit where uh, where the US will be setting out some ambitions for, for interim targets ahead of ahead of 2050. And we're expecting uh, Xi Jinping to do the same. So these things wouldn't have been happening. There wouldn't have been this climate summit if, if Trump was still in office. They wouldn't be talking about this issue. Um, so it's it's obviously changed uh, significantly what, what what is possible from, from COP26. Mm -hmm. And Jade, what about you? Where do you sort of see the, the opportunities for real progress from COP26? Or do you think there's any things that might hold that back? Yeah, I think COP26 is a big kind of reputational risk in a way for the UK as Patrick mentioned it has quite a big reputation on on climate change but there's a lot to be agreed at this summit and there's a lot of points of potential disagreement um, and we could essentially come out of November having no agreements on the major things which we need uh, for the Paris Agreement to take hold so for example Alok Sharma this week has sent an a note, a letter to all those signed up to the Paris Agreement on what he called the unprecedented agenda that they've got uh, to, to solve. Um, so agreement on these policies will essentially be crucial if, if this is going to be deemed a success and if the UK's role in kind of leading these negotiations is going to be a success as well. And these kind of the run up up to, up to COP26 will be particularly important. There's a lot of kind of background negotiations already going ahead uh, with talks where essentially they can kind of hash out some of some of the conflicts that are kind of expected. And that's why it's really important and really helpful that Biden is having this climate summit this week. He's been speaking, as Patrick mentioned, to China. Uh, they've both agreed to kind of take steps forward on climate change. Mm -hmm. um, and that will be really important for kind of getting other organizations to buy in and set their own targets and uh, kind of commit to what the COP26 wants to get done. And um, in terms of, I guess, um, not necessarily spectators, but more wider um, industry groups or just members of members of the general public who are really passionate about the need to address a lot of these climate issues, more of the staunch environmentalists. What do you think they're hoping to see the G7 presidencies achieve or what, what do you think they want from the summit? Do you think it's likely to go far enough for what maybe some scientists would like to see as well? Uh, it's it's tough, isn't it? Because because these these set piece events uh, hold a lot of significance, and people expect a lot from them. And uh, the reality is, it's it's hard to imagine that the world will go as fast as as environmentalists would like it to do, and many scientists would like it to do, because of the uh, the, the, the the political challenges involved. However. Uh, Paris did show that, that um, genuine, ambitious agreements are possible, um, and I and I do think that the world has changed since Paris in in terms of its level of awareness of of uh, of the risks of climate change. We've seen more manifestations of a changing climate in terms of in terms of extreme weather happening all around the world. So people are aware of this, and politicians are. Aware of this, in terms of what um, in terms of what would would represent a good outcome here, um, we need to see net zero targets being set by the major emitting countries that haven't done this yet. Um, we do have a net zero target from from China, 2060. It's a big step forward for for the for the world's biggest emitter to have set this target at all. 
there'll be some hope that that could be ramped up in ambition over the years to come, even if not uh, this year. But still, you've got major emitting countries like India, Mexico, Russia, Australia, Saudi Arabia, not having a net zero target. So, so, so signing those targets up will be good, um, but also interim targets for all countries, mm. making sure that they're ambitious enough, because those are the ones that are most likely to be backed up by clear plans of action now. And this is actually an area where the UK is a bit of a risk. You know, Jay talked about the risk of, of, of failure and not, uh, not doing enough for this conference. And the UK is very good at goal setting. This government is very good at talking about what it wants to achieve in the future and projecting a vision of the country. But actually taking difficult decisions in domestic policy is what's going to make these targets a reality. And so when you see things like the Green Homes Grant being scrapped, which is a major, major, uh, the, the, the need to retrofit uh, homes across the UK as, as, a, as a priority for reducing carbon emissions across our housing stock, that being scrapped with no immediate replacement is, is a bad look. Issuing new exploration licenses in the North Sea for, for further fossil fuel exploration, which the UK probably doesn't need, not a great look. And the Cumbrian coal mine obviously uh, took a lot of headlines as well recently. It's unclear whether that will end up going ahead, but it's again, not the right look because it's showing that you say one thing but you do another thing and if if, if that's the spirit that we go into these talks um, that's not going to be very helpful for the for the for the reality of, of what's going to um, uh, happen I think the other thing I'd say is climate finance is going to be really key here and again UK slashing the aid budget is not a particularly good look uh, heading heading into to, to this conference and I know that there's hope that that decision might be reversed by the time that the um, conference takes place. Oh interesting okay um, so Jade what would you say then to sort of add on to what Patrick said about what you think that some of the more tangible things that the UK can push for and really try and um, you know look to stand strong on the world stage at, at this time? Yeah so I think Patrick mentioned a few of them but kind of the first one is that commitment to developing nations so one of the touching tough points that uh, the summit will kind of discusses the role that western countries like the us uk and china have in supporting developing countries to reach net zero so uh, you know clean energy and things like that so alok sharma has said that the conference hopes to deliver a uh, hundred billion a year to assist climate vulnerable nations um, and that's something that biden has also kind of committed to um, and also hopefully china as well uh, after discussions so that's one area where they're kind of they do have a specific policy that they're hoping to get kind of lots of nations signed up to the second one as patrick mentioned is that kind of commitment to actually people setting their their own targets it sounds quite silly but it is one of the most important things that will mean that over the next few years after this summit there is something to work towards. We've seen so many times, you know, criticism that countries haven't been meeting their Paris Agreement targets. It just shows how important setting these targets actually is. And you can see that's something that the UK government in particular is so set on, as Patrick mentioned, with um, increasing the, um, the amount that they're gonna be reducing their emissions. It's, it's all to kind of encourage nations to continue to do the same and follow in the path of the US and the UK. So I think that's another area which they'll be working hard towards at the moment and also working for, for um, Glasgow. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you mentioned the sort of the Paris Agreement and people not kind of 
being um, up to speed with the timelines that were sort of laid out there, do you think that there's, you know, what, what's the risk of the same happening again here? Or do you think that that's actually not so important and it's more important to get the targets in place and then look at the next steps to actually achieving them? Yeah, it's difficult because the goalposts for uh, kind of climate change are changing all the time. Um, obviously, we have new technologies that are coming in, which means that some people think that actually it might be easier for us to uh, reach our kind of net zero targets. And there are some people who are saying, actually, the speed in which it's going, it's, it's, it's not going to be enough at all. And we need to start looking at negative emissions. So I think um, it's really important that, you know, targets are continually set and also renewed, um, as the UK government has done uh, this week but it's difficult because so many other countries are way 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 behind where we are um, so I think they do really need to kind of stick to what they agreed at the Paris Agreement and hopefully this conference will take it further if not be a kind of impetus to kind of make everyone catch up a bit. Totally um, I'm you know sort of touching on tech a little bit there I'd, I'd be keen to hear both of your thoughts on what you think that the role of tech actually is in not necessarily solving climate change, but helping us get there um, get to these goalposts quicker. Um, I think so. I mean, tech obviously has a massive role to play uh, overall. I mean, I think we we know that we are going to need massive technological uh, technological innovation in order to to reach net zero uh, and to do it cost effectively as well. In terms of many areas of of uh, of the economy, the technology is there. So, if you look at if you look at renewable energy, power generation generally, the technology is there to get to net zero. It's a question of uh, making it cheaper, rolling it out at scale. The 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 technology is also there for some of the for some of the harder areas to decarbonize as well, like uh, like heat and transport. That's that's where a massive amount of innovation is is going to be needed to turn things which are, 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 are potentially possible into things which are commercially possible. And there's, that's, there's a, a big role for technology um, in, in not only delivering solutions, but making them, uh, making them um, applicable for not just developed economies, but also developing economies as well, because that is where a massive amount of the change is gonna to have to take place. So there's a, there's a huge role um, for technology. And of course, there's a role for technologies that, that uh, that haven't come through yet um, or that are, that are still in, in, in earlier phase development. I think it's also important though to realize that technology alone is not going to do the job. You can't, you can't move forward into this negotiation with the belief that we're going to find some sort of technological savior that's going to come in and, and, and sort the issue out. We have to push for ambitious mitigation efforts as the best hope of, of, of reducing the risks associated with climate change, um, we can't assume that we'll, we'll be bailed out at the last minute by by something sucking carbon out of the air or other geoengineering solutions that are going to reduce global temperatures. We have to assume that that technology isn't isn't going to to save us. We have to use technology to push for mitigation and indeed for climate resilience as well. I think Patrick raises a good point on um, how important kind of other organisations are in delivering this target. The government is pretty much placing a large or responsibility at the door of kind of large corporate organizations for what it wants to achieve you know we have a conservative government they're only going to do so much in terms of regulation to kind of encourage free market economics and help lower the price of these net zero technologies but they are relying on the work of companies that we work with 
um, but also kind of across the corporate sector to be committing and to be helping addressing their own supply chains, um, you know, applying for grants, having, you know, innovative thinking, uh, cutting emissions where they can. Um, and so it is a job for the whole of kind of the UK economy um, to do this. And I guess one thing that we're still waiting for is the Treasury's net zero strategy, <clears throat> which will be essentially how this is going to be funded. How is the UK actually going to reduce its emissions? Um, and what we're anticipating there is probably a few more incentives for businesses, um, a lot of clients that we work with in the energy sectors and others. So there'll be a lot of opportunity for companies to kind of get involved and, and help on this mission. But as, as I said, it will be really important that they do and they kind of move forward and, and do everything they can to, to help with it. I do think, and, and you know, the, the overarching key message on this is, is and uh, it's good to see, it's good to see that the latest commitments from the government include aviation and shipping where, where innovation definitely is required and technology will be required to reduce emissions from these sectors. But for the most part, the technology is there. The policy isn't there. So okay. it's the policy that needs to catch up. And the policy needs to be ambitious enough to support the rollout of technology which already exists as well as supporting the innovation. Yeah, and encouraging organisations to, to, to use it and help scale it. Okay, really interesting. So I guess to sort of move away from thinking about this from like a corporation point of view, obviously, um, for those of us who were working in Westminster, we will remember well the um, Extinction Rebellion and all the sort of um, youth-led movements and protests all across the city to really shut things down and obviously um, safeguarding the planet for future generations is something that today's global youth seem really passionate about so I'd love to hear your thoughts on what role you think that maybe that, that sort of movement and what how young people can help push for change as well. Uh, I mean I'm personally of the view that um kind of through politics is one of the best ways you can engender change. And I think with what's happening in Germany, for example, um, with the Green Party, who's been doing particularly well ahead of the, the elections there, suggests that young people can play a really important role in kind of shifting the dial across parties, not just you know through the Green Party, but also through the through the Conservative Party as well. It is and the environment is a really easy and nice electoral thing to run on. It appeals to, you know, young people. It can appeal to, you know, educated and middle class voters. It can also, if you get the right messaging, right appeal and help working class voters. So it is a, it is a really useful kind of elect electoral tool. And I think the, the global youth and, and the youth drive has really kind of driven that home into the agenda. And I think it's been incredibly effective, actually. I know there was a lot of criticism at the time, but it has really shifted the dial I think um, particularly in the UK but also throughout the rest of Europe and, and beyond. Yeah I would, I would, I would, I would agree with what, what Jade says about the ability to engender change through taking action, uh, through getting involved with politics and policy but also joining relevant industries. There are so many industries that are looking to change and need to change and need to transform and there are also industries that perhaps don't need to, to or don't know that they need to transform as quickly as they do. Massive opportunity for, for, for people who are passionate about this to join organisations and to drive through change because senior leaders in most organisations now are looking for innovation and looking for passionate young people to come through and, and drive through change in their organisations. And it's a huge opportunity for people. So people should be out on the streets, they should be protesting, they should be making sure that there's political accountability for 
for uh, for the actions that are being taken. But there is an opportunity as well to engage practically through careers and through politics and policy outside of work as well to, to, to really make change happen and to feed into the nature of that change. Okay, cool. So um, I think that kind of takes me on to the, the last point that I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on, um, which is what that, I know we've sort of touched on it at like a bigger level, what we think that role for um, industry and organisations and you know individual companies is to take on. But I suppose thinking more about how um, maybe these organisations communicate the work that they're doing, or maybe they're not necessarily aware that they even need to be doing that. Um, what what would you what would your maybe advice be to sort of organisations who might want to dip a toe into having a bit more of a green agenda? Um, obviously, you know we hear a lot of talk about greenwashing and how that can really actually have the opposite effect of what we're looking to do. So um, Patrick, maybe you could jump in first there. What do you think the opportunities are? Sure, I think, uh, I mean, there is an opportunity. It is important to have, you shouldn't see, you shouldn't see sustainability as being a communications imperative. Mm. That's a mistake. You need to see sustainability as being a business imperative and something that you communicate about because if you see it as a communications imperative first and foremost you will be accused of greenwashing people will wonder what your uh, incentives and motivations are for for, um, for doing things and, and you have to be able to talk talk about and point to tangible action that's being taken to to play your part and to change your business in order to uh, to move towards a net zero and lower carbon economy. And some businesses and some sectors obviously have a bigger role to play than others. I mean, we, we're a professional services firm and there are lots of other professional services firms and, and there is a role that we can play, of course, in the actions that, that we take. But as a services sector business, it's probably not as big as, as heavy industry. Wherever you sit on that spectrum, whatever your existing carbon footprint is, there are things that you can do not only in terms of your own day-to-day business, but also how how you communicate, how you embed values throughout your team, um, what you do outside of your of your core business as well. So there's lots of things that that that, uh, that, that can be done, and there's lots of opportunities for organisations to embed this as a significant issue across their business and across their workforce and across the way that they build team culture. Mm-hmm. It's 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 important in a in in a broad sense. Um, as well as being about specific uh, uh, actions, but that being said, once 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 you once you do have a good set of policies in place, and once you are taking tangible actions, and you do have things that you can point to, of course, it's important to communicate about that because it shows that you care. But it's also a good opportunity to engage with stakeholders. Political stakeholders are really interested in this agenda. Internal stakeholders, staff. It's motivating for for, for staff as well. And of course, for external audiences, customers and, and other businesses and partners and so on, to show that you're engaged with, with this agenda is increasingly important. And it's something that most businesses, most businesses, not necessarily all businesses have a, have a, have a real imperative, but most businesses should be trying to think about how they can engage with this uh, agenda moving forward. Absolutely. Jade, do you have anything that you'd add to that? Yeah, I think... I agree with obviously with everything Patrick has said, but I think there are there are probably three things that I think organisations can probably be thinking about and looking at doing. I think we're at the stage where a lot of people have committed and they've kind of said, you know, those targets, they've committed to the race to zero and what they will be doing and what they should be doing now is kind of and identifying kind of their areas of strength 
and their areas of weakness when it comes to sustainability. So what are the things we can really target, we can target in the next three to five years, if not sooner? What are the things, what are the challenges? Uh, what are we going to have to be slower on because of cost um, and other challenges? Mm-hmm. And kind of having a plan for those as well, because that's all, what, that's all what, what is really important uh, kind of for mitigating any criticisms of greenwashing is being completely transparent on where you succeed and where you don't think that you have a plan specific plan to address that and then I guess related to that the second point is playing the long game I mean COP26 is this year and sustainability has been a massive buzzword but it is a long-term challenge we you know we're going to be talking about this definitely until 2030 um, and there will be other things which will come up which will keep it on the agenda so playing the long game thinking about before COP there'll be you know there are opportunities as we've been seeing but also after COP26, there will be increasing amount of opportunities of what comes out of it. And so organisations need to be well positioned kind of going into it. Um, and, and then they can, you know, engage with stakeholders kind of after it as well. And then I guess lastly is just considering their wider reputation, as Patrick mentioned, you know, the best sustainability communications are those which are coming from reputable organisations who are kind of well respected and, um they you know they know their stuff and they, and they are transparent so I think kind of taking learnings from what other brands have done what other credible brands have done over the next few few months will be important um, and also just building sustainability into kind of a wider reputation strategy um, will be really important for the next few years. Okay brilliant thank you Jade lots of um, you know important and clear things there for companies to sort of think about if they're ready to start on this process as you say it's not just the whilst it's felt like a bit of a buzzword this isn't just something like a, a box ticking exercise to do ahead of COP26 it really does need to be built into that longer term um, plan of action as, as Patrick said as well not just in the communication side of things but really within that business um, strategy level so I guess I'd, I'd just like to hand back over if either of you have any sort of closing thoughts or final things you'd like to say um, on this Earth Day 2021. So in terms of the COP itself, the first part of the discussion, the I think the, the, it, this, this week will be really, really interesting. The key things to look out for are the role of China, which by far is, is going to be a, a massive determinant as to whether the world can, can achieve its, its ambitions or not. Um, and associated with that, can we phase out coal and how early can we phase out coal? That's going to be a, a, a massive, massive question. Um, and as we touched on, it's the ongoing delivery of policy in the short term that's also going to be necessary to make sure that we keep on track for the long term. Um, you can't just... Uh, talk, 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 and not walk the walk. And it's actually a similar message for for organisations. It's it is about COP. It is about making commitments uh, about your sustainability strategy that associated with COP. But it is about that ongoing delivery and that ongoing process of change on a day to day basis. That's that's what will reproduce uh, the necessary changes that that businesses need to undertake and that society needs to undertake in order to to reach net zero. So. This is an important moment. It's an important milestone for the world. It's an important moment for businesses as well. But we can't take our eye off the bigger picture. It's not just about COP. It's also about uh, the whole transformation of our economy. Brilliant. 
Jade? I think what's really different about this Earth Day um, in comparison to kind of a few others which I've lived through is the is this corporate awakening and also the government awakening as well and there's increasing responsibility that's being placed on, on corporations and as we mentioned at the beginning as, as western individuals and kind of we, we hold the power and, and corporations also hold the power in those places so commitments from them and genuine action I think is going to be particularly important and not, I'm not kind of putting the responsibility solely on consumers as a lot of kind of organizations have done in the past for change it's really <clears throat> taking hold of this opportunity changing and saving the world essentially <laughs> um, great I love that okay well good luck to everyone out there who's ready to save the world hopefully we've got a fantastic um year of policy change ahead to help us get there and thank you both very much for your time and taking part today thank, thank you thank you Thank you.